Chapter Twenty Three of The Last Stroke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock. The Last Stroke by Lawrence L. Lynch. Chapter Twenty Three. Two Interviews and now let us turn the clock back a few hours that we may relate how hilda and ruth made the well-laid plans of ferrars of no effect so far as himself and another were concerned mr myers had left the ladies of his party safe in their snug quarters at hampton court and went early to the city to meet ferrars as has already been related but if he expected them to remain in status quo on such a day and in easy reach of bond street it speaks ill for his knowledge of women especially of ruth glidden who knew her london well and who when mrs myers began to long to see the insides of howells and james and their royal array of painted and other rare china and hilda looked yearningly over the guide-books for the city took matters into her own hands there was no reason why they should not go to town especially so she privately informed mrs myers as hilda was moping she could guide them anywhere where they might wish to go and this is how the three ladies came to be seen at marshall's and snellgrove's linen drapers so called at red mains and red ferns and at jay's for hilda's sombre bedecking jay's had been called the morning warehouse of the world not because jay keeps on tap a perennial and unfailing supply of tears but because all they feminine that mourn may be suitably clad at enormous expense by the way by jay and company and here it was that our little party sweeping into one of the suburb parlors where models displayed jay's somber wares came face to face with mrs jameson who seated upon a broad divan was gazing at a little blonde of her own size and coloring who displayed for her benefit a flowing tea-gown of soft black silk lighted up here and there with touches of gleaming white of course there were greetings and exclamations and such converse as may be held in so public a place and ruth who somehow made herself spokesman for the party exclaimed that they had just run over for that little outing and because hilda needed the change oh yes they were well escorted mr myers was with them and also mr grant at the name which was the only one by which she knew ferrars mrs jameson flushed and paled and the smile with which she received this news was slightly tremulous and then she told him how she was stopping for a short time with a friend in bloomsbury her husband's business affairs that had called her so suddenly back to england were now almost settled and then she should leave london for a time she had been thinking of a place in surrey she hoped to be in possession soon and then surely they would not return too soon for a visit to her among the surrey downs and where were they stopping upon which ruth confided the fact that they were not yet in permanent quarters 
they must be settled soon however meantime etc 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 they parted soon and it was only when they were riding homeward that it occurred to them that robert brierly's name had not been spoken and that ferrars perhaps would not be best pleased to know of their unpremeditated excursion as for the little widow she went back to bloomsbury in a state of excitement unusual for her to know that ferris grant was in london and that she might see him soon set her pulses beating and her brain teeming with plans for their meeting what had brought him to london just now what indeed save herself unless and here she paled and her little hands were clenched till the black gloves burst across the dainty palms unless it were ruth glidden what was ruth glidden to the grants she asked herself futilely and why were they together and then for ten minutes mrs jameson wished she had never seen ferris grant i was very well content until then she assured herself and my future seemed all arranged and now she longed to meet him and yet if he had but waited or if i had not been so hesitating now i must go on and he must not know a month later and i might have received them all in my sweet surrey home have met him with full hands and there would have been no need of explanation while now she struck her hands together and set her lips in firm lines i must see him once and then we need not meet until all is arranged if i only knew where to send a note she had been absent since luncheon and upon her arrival at home she found this brief note awaiting her mrs jameson dear madam being in london for a short time only and with little leisure i take the liberty of asking if i may call upon you in the morning at the unfashionable hour of eleven o'clock yours respectfully ferris grant it was late when she reached bloomsbury and she had little time to dress for dinner and the evening for she was going out again but she replied to this note bidding him come and assuring him of his welcome at any hour then reluctantly and with a look of distaste amounting almost to repugnance upon her face she began to dress for the evening when ferrers reached his rooms after leaving the cafe his lips were set and his eyes gleamed dangerously for a little time he paced the floor and then impelled by some thought he looked to see if any letters had arrived during his absence yes there they were half a dozen of them he glanced at their subscriptions and then opened a little perfumed and black-bordered envelope it was mrs jameson's reply to his note of the afternoon and he read it and put it down slowly i shall be prompt he said to himself to keep that appointment and i wonder whether its outcome will make me more or less her friend if it will alter or modify my plans and if having met this once i shall have the courage the hardihood to meet her again and to say what i must say if we meet he put down the little note and took up the one next in interest 
the handwriting was that of ruth glidden and the stationery that of the fashionable piccadilly dressmaker dear mr f so ran the note i am aware that you did not wish us any of us to be seen of men in london until certain things were accomplished and i take upon myself all the blame of the little journey we mrs myers hilda and myself took this afternoon we felt quite safe in visiting a few shops for ladies only but at the third we met mrs jameson this may or may not be a moment to you at all events i have eased my conscience and hilda's by letting you know nothing of any moment was said on either side and no questions were asked yours penitently ruth g over this woman-like note ferrars wrinkled his brows and finally smiled i had not meant that they should meet until but pshaw what does it matter everything seems urging me on and shaping my course so be it it is time for the last stroke and to-morrow before this hour i shall be a free man or a failure ferrars was prompted in his appearance at the bloomsbury cottage and mrs jameson had been for a long half-hour awaiting him alone in the little drawing-room her face was somewhat pale and there was a hint of agitation in her greeting and a shade of gravity in his she talked of hilda and was full of pleasure at their meeting and by and by she spoke of ruth her beauty her grace and style was it true that she was an heiress and was she not in some way related to miss hilda and himself or perhaps to the brierleys it was the first mention of that name by either and ferrars looking into her eyes answered she bore the same relation to robert brierley that hilda bore to charles they had been lovers since childhood how sad strange and romantic how pitiful the sadness outweighs the romance and it is strange that the same hand should have struck at the happiness of both their friends i have asked myself he went on musingly what would be the faith of the destroyer of so much happiness if these two girls could be made judge and jury with the slayer at their mercy ugh the lady shuddered and turned her face away the thought is unnatural i don't know women have been dread enemies before now and are generally good haters they make great criminals too but i fancy a woman must always betray mercy she crossed the room suddenly to change the position of a translucent screen through which the sun had begun to filter you are positively gruesome mr grant let us change the subject or first let me ask if they have found any trace of the cre the person the clues have been very unsatisfactory for most part but the ladies both hope to see justice done yet we all hope it in fact and what is most lacking from the first the motive seems most difficult to discover but we won't dwell upon this longer now mrs jameson ah and i was just getting up courage to ask you to tell me what had been done what progress had been made i was so near to being a witness you know and-and of course you are interested 
I quite understand that. If you really care to hear, Mrs. Jameson, I will tell you the whole story when next we meet. It is quite interesting. I will tell you that and other things. He arose and stood before her. I must not tarry now. Shall you be at liberty this afternoon? I am so sorry. I am promised to my hostess. She thinks I live too secluded a life. But I am about to make a change. She brightened visibly as she told of her Surrey prospects and her hope of seeing his party and himself there. And then her smile faded. I fear I may not see you again for at least a fortnight. I have promised Mrs. Latham, my hostess, that I would go over to Paris with her. She has been very good to me, she faltered. How long shall you remain in England, she added. More than a fortnight, at least. I shall see you again. Mrs. Jameson never doubted. He was drawing on a glove as he uttered the words, and across the busy fingers he looked into her eyes. It was to see you that I came to England, and so he bowed low till we meet. He caught up his hat and stick, and before she could put out a hand had bowed himself from the room, and she heard his quick receding step across the little vestibule. For many moments after she sat where she had sunk down at his sudden going, and presently the slow tears fell upon the hands that supported her bowed face. For years she had been an unhappy woman, living an unloved, unloving life. Then ambition and hope had taken hold of her mind, and she had tested herself, and found, in that small body, the strength to dare much and to risk much. And now, how she thrilled at the thought, wealth, success, and love, all would come to her together. What else could his words mean? She had only to be courageous and firm for a little while, to be patient for a few more days, and then... She sprang to her feet and flung her arms aloft. She wanted to shout for triumph. Victory, she said aloud. Is there another woman in all the world who can say that she has conquered faith and gain all the goods she has worked and wished for? And just then the maid's voice broke in upon her dream. Madam, the charwoman is here for the money. Do you still wish me to give her the little suit? The woman turned as suddenly as if Nemesis had spoken. Yes, she said, and the voice was husky and the face almost terror-stricken. Ruth. Robert Brierly came up the piazza steps where Ruth sat alone and dropped upon the topmost one at her feet. I have just received a note from Ferrars. Ruth looked up from her bit of needlework. There was a note of suppressed excitement in his tone, which she was quick to observe. He seems to have changed his mind, Brierly went on, and bids me come up with Myers. Today, the work fell from her hands. Now, in half an hour, but Robert, after all this caution, let me read the note, dear, he said, unfolding the sheet he had held in his hand. It is very brief and pointed. Dear Brierly, come up with Myers and be sure that you are not observed when you enter Haynes' office. He will know what to do with you. 
if i have not been an awful bungler and i don't think i have this time you will stand a free man to-night able to go up and down the earth without menace from an assassin's knife and will have come into your own which means a fortune for ours ruth he spoke softly do you know what that means better than you do perhaps she spoke hurriedly as if to gain time and her cheeks were already aflame your mind was so entirely set upon finding charlie's murderer rob that you thought it best not to risk a new anxiety by telling you too much about the other besides there could be nothing certain you know until mr myers had investigated you had a hint of it oh to be sure and i have not been quite blind to their kindly cunning will it be a very great fortune ruthie he caught her hand and held it fast very because if it is i intend to come back and lay it all at your feet formally abjectly and with utmost speed ruth wrestled away the imprisoned hand and gave her chair a backward push robert brierly if you dare to come to me and offer me a fortune a hateful old english fortune that i despise if you only ask me to accept you after you are sure of that money i won't i will not never ruthie she sprang up but he was before her oh you can't escape now i intend to propose to you this minute i'll run no risks after such a threat as that ruth if you run away i will shout it after you and mrs myers and hilda are halfway down the stairs now quick ruth dear will you marry me i shan't let you go until you say yes and then in spite of herself ruth's laughter bubbled over you stupid as if we hadn't been engaged for years at least i have half an hour later when mr myers and brierly came out upon the piazza together they found ruth awaiting them there equipped for a journey why ruth said the lawyer are you going to the city i'm going with you the girl replied firmly you need not argue i mean to go and mr ferrars will not object he will need me End of chapter 23